we were looking at data that had never been measured or seen before in that resolution. This is that surface pressure measurement. That's what everybody is after. And now we have this time history of what the pressure is doing on the surface of the vehicle. This becomes the holy grail of the data set that you want. You're listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. As NASA and its stakeholders develop increasingly advanced aerospace vehicles, more advanced tools are required for efficient design. NASA is working on a new state-of-the-art technique to measure unsteady aerodynamics using pressure-sensitive paint, high-speed cameras, and advanced image processing methods. Nettie Bruceboom works at NASA's Ames Research Center as the project manager of the Unsteady Pressure-Sensitive Paint Capability Challenge in the Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate. Nettie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dina. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. What is the Unsteady Pressure-Sensitive Paint Capability Challenge? Yes, it is transforming the ability to assess unsteady flow. And how I like to unpack it is um, it's an unsteady pressure-sensitive paint capability challenge. So it's a capability that we deploy in wind tunnels. And it's a challenge because this really is defining a new state of the art and how we assess unsteady flow. There's a lot of questions here. We're, we're looking at a very fundamental problem and fundamental research has to be done. And we really have to show and demonstrate that we really are improving the state of the art. And the unsteady pressure-sensitive paint part of it, um, pressure-sensitive paint is a, an optical technique that started in the mid-80s. Um, and this was a partnership between NASA and University of Washington in the, the early creation of this. And it's, it's a luminescent molecule that responds to oxygen. So maybe we should really call it oxygen-sensitive paint. The amount of oxygen is proportional to the pressure. So the lower the pressure, the lower counts of oxygen molecules. The higher the pressure, the higher the count of oxygen molecules. And this paint responds to oxygen. So the higher the amount of oxygen, the paint will shine dimmer. Um, and the lower the amount of oxygen, the paint will shine brighter. So it's a pressure-sensitive paint. And we use this to assess what the pressure is on the surface of a wind tunnel model in the wind tunnel. And I said unsteady. So the unsteady part of it is you know, at the heart of wind tunnel testing, you're wanting to measure what these aerodynamic forces are on a vehicle. It doesn't matter if it's an aircraft or a spacecraft, a launch vehicle. Everybody wants to know what is the pressure acting on this vehicle at different parts of the vehicle. So pressure times an area equals the force. So that's where the pressure sensitive paint comes in. If we want to understand any kind of flow, steady flow or unsteady flow, we want to know what that surface pressure measurement is and how it's distributed across the vehicle. The unsteady part of it, that's the hard part to solve um, for us. And I'd say that's even where we have the, the largest deficit of knowledge and ability. So the ability to measure and compute unsteady flows remains a challenge. And it's one of the biggest challenges within the field of aerosciences. If we want to understand these unsteady flow phenomenon, like shocks and shock boundary layer interactions, we have to measure these unsteady pressures. So we do this um, both in wind tunnels. We do it computationally. 
but both of these current state of the arts are, um, I'll say, good for today's requirements. But our requirements are becoming more and more uh, strict, more and more um, with respect to efficiency of vehicles. And so now the pressure sensitive paint, since we can measure and have this paint respond at 10 kilohertz, 20 kilohertz, now this can be a path forward to really mature this state of the art of measuring unsteady flow. What would you say is the overall significance of the activity? Traditionally, PSP has been this optical technique that has really been a lab demonstration and deployed in small research labs. And the significance of what we're doing is moving this to a production wind tunnel. So what's the difference with a production wind tunnel? Currently, we're deploying this at the Ames Research Center Unitary Plan Wind Tunnel, and specifically in the transonic facility. This facility is the workhorse of the agency. Everybody from across the aerospace industry comes here to test their vehicles. It can be aircraft, it can be spacecraft, it can be launch vehicles, because everybody flies through this transonic regime. So transonic is a little bit below and a little bit above Mach 1, the speed of sound. And this is a very curious place to fly because there's a lot of aerodynamics and unsteady aerodynamics here. Um, So if we go back and examine NASA's goals, both on the aeronautics side and on the human exploration side, weaved in there is all about fuel efficiency and designing ultra-efficient vehicles, designing vehicles that will allow a space economy to thrive. So how do we get more fuel-efficient aircraft, spacecraft? Well, you have to study these unsteady aerodynamic forces. Um, So on the aircraft side, you know, um, one of the major thrusts for aeronautics is ultra-efficient vehicles. This can look like designing a new engine, new fuels that we're using, but it also is looking at the redesign of the body itself, the actual aircraft body. And one of the places where things get over-designed is that we currently cannot measure and assess these unsteady flows. So we have to make conservative estimates on how strong and where these forces are acting on the vehicle. So we will beef up that part of the vehicle. And on the space side, you know, flying through the transonic regime, that is the trickiest part of this. So vehicles in ascent, so from the launch pad and going into space, flying through that transonic regime, that's really tricky. That's where you can see a lot of accidents. Um, You can see rockets become unstable. So measuring that appropriately is key in the success of that vehicle. So currently we're in the middle of this four-year project. And this project is all about taking this technology from the lab environment to the wind tunnel environment. And we have to assess what the challenges are. What have you demonstrated so far? So far, um, if we go back a few years, we again, we started with this very lab-oriented research activity, and it was basic just to get the basic understanding here of like operating the high-speed cameras, which would um, record the emission of the paint, the response of the paint. Um, it was even just how to, how to apply this paint. It was different than the previous paints that we have been using. Um, and so we did several small lab demos just to get... Um, you know, our footing, also to see like, what does this data look like? How do we process it? How do we make sense of it at a very fundamental um, level? Um, And then once we had some basic knowledge on how to deploy this, then we started, you know, just building up our, our ability in the production wind tunnel. So 
the Space Launch System, SLS, they have been a key partner here. Um, and it has been a beautiful cross-mission directorate partnership that we've been able to perform. And even if we go back to 2016, this was the first time um, we, we, we interacted with SLS and they were going to do a force and moment test. So this is just measuring steady forces. Um, and we approached them and said, hey, we're developing this new technology. Can we put a single camera in the tunnel um, at the end of your test? Can we take a day's worth of data or just have a day to be able to paint the model and collect data? Starting to get um, a feel for production deployment of this technology. So we did that. Um, and it was it was awesome and beautiful and a huge learning curve. And I, the part that I'll say, remember this later, is like, after we painted and got ready and everything was set to go, we got two hours of data and that was a terabyte. And we came to a screeching halt right at the end of shift because we had filled up our, our drive. You know, we were so concentrated on everything else. Yeah. That it, it, uh, yeah, we got, we filled it up and we said, well, that's the end of that. Um, thankfully it was at the end of shift. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a year later, we acquired three more cameras. So we had four cameras, one on each wall of the wind tunnel. Uh, and we had three days of testing this time. Um, and we had gotten a larger computer and, and maybe been a little bit more mindful. But still, after that, um, SLS came back to the wind tunnel. They, this time they were doing an unsteady arrow assessment test. So, um, you know, using the traditional sensors that we usually use. And again, we said, hey, at the end of your test, can we piggyback and do another demonstration of this technology and, and look at, you know, if we test multiple days in a row, what do we need to be conscious and considerate of? And again, after the end of that first day, maybe we got in six hours of actual um, data acquisition. We filled up the drive. I mean, we had 40 terabytes here. So it, um, so we had to scurry out and get external drives, fill it up, and then wipe the machine and get ready for the next day. But we, we had some really great, um, you know, again, coming up this learning curve and understanding how do you deploy this technology you know, from the chemistry point of view, from the hardware point of view, from the software point of view. And so we learned a lot. We, we uh, filled up about 12 drives. It was about 50 terabytes, I believe, at the end of three days of testing. And after that was done, we walked over to the NASA advanced supercomputer down the street. And, um, and we, we uploaded them from a hard drive to the supercomputer. So at least we had a place to store all this data together. And it wasn't just on these external hard drives. And then fast forward two years later, so this was September of 2019, um, you know, this was going to be our most sophisticated test yet. And we had to start thinking to be more conscious of what we were going to do, how we were going to collect this data, and how we would do this in a wind tunnel, a production wind tunnel, without decreasing that productivity. After that test, we really demonstrated that we could deploy this technology in a production wind tunnel, and we could collect this really... Uh, useful data. It was a large data set. It was a rich data set. This was a transformational data set. Could you tell us more about why this is considered transformational? Yeah, if we could go back and review, like this is that surface pressure measurement. That's what everybody is after. And now we have this time history of what the pressure is doing on the surface of the vehicle. This becomes the holy grail of the data set that you want. But the hard part is that we have this large data set, we have this rich data set, and if we go back to the, the fundamentals of, of supply chain management and, and you look at like something that's really high value and low weight, like 
this this is high value, really low weight, then you move this data as fast as possible. So you know, I mentioned that after that that demo, we we had it on external drives and we walked it over to the supercomputer and we uploaded it. You know, this is not traditionally how you get data to the supercomputer. <laughs> So we knew we had a little bit of time before our next test. And about a year before this next demo, which was in September of 2019, we started talking with the NASA Advanced Supercomputer, which is also located at, at Ames Research Center. And you know, we had moved the data there. We had started developing our software to process the data on the on the supercomputer. And when it was on hard drives, you know, we we really lacked that ability to process it. And then how do we even deliver it. You know, like, traditionally, mm-hmm. this is, uh, you know, right now, our current practice is you put data on a drive and you ship it. And and that, again, satisfies today's requirements. But it, again, if we go back, you know, we want to get more fuel efficient. We want to invite more partners to the space economy. You know, we have to get smarter. I, this is really where this transformation comes from. This even starts going into that digital transformation and going down that path of like, how do we digitize this information? And then how do you deliver it? So by partnering up with the NAS, we, we worked with them for about a year. Um, this is something that had been discussed. This had been attempted. The value here was very obvious of the experimental facilities, the wind tunnels, really needed to talk to these computational facilities. And it wasn't just the facilities. It was also the communities that needed to talk, that we had these multidiscipline areas that really could leverage one another. It was a diverse team. And we could really build something that used the agency's resources, I think, in the most efficient way. So September 2019 rolled around. Um, before that, we had we had built this connection between the wind tunnel, the unitary plan wind tunnel, and the NAS advanced supercomputer. And during that test, we we had five days of testing, and we were able in real time to move this you know, holy grail of data, the pressure-sensitive paint, from the wind tunnel to the NAS process it and visualize it all within an hour, you know, a matter of an hour from the, the actual conception of the data point to being able to visualize it. And I think we even got it down to um, like around eight minutes. So, like, you know, whenever we saw the, that first data point come up and it was being visualized on the hyperwall at the, the supercomputer, I mean, this was really transformational. This was eye-opening that now, you, you know, we could invite the SLS subject matter experts to come Look at this data set. We were looking at data that had never been measured or seen before in that resolution. And that was like the transformational part of it. It's like, wow, okay, we got different facilities. We're leveraging the parts of them that they do the best. And then we had the subject matter experts being able to make decisions while they were there at the wind tunnel and being able to see this data. Wow, that's fascinating. If you had to isolate one breakthrough moment that propelled this project toward being a game changer, what would it be? Yeah, it, it absolutely was this connecting the wind tunnel facility to the supercomputer. Like, you know, I, I talked about the pressure sensitive paint. We kept running up against these limitations of our, our data acquisition of one terabyte and then 10 terabytes, 50 terabytes. Yeah, like, that was always going to be the limiting factor. And it was one of those things where we could go out and find a lot of money, like, a million dollars or more and build this beefy mini supercomputer, or we could look around, we could get smart. We could, you know, what I like to say is we could find those leverage points where, you know, the minimum amount of, of activity would cause the greatest amount of gain. 
and that's what we did. Like we found that leverage point and, and we called this connection Red Rover. Uh, I love it because it's Red Rover, Red Rover, <laughs> sent data right over. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. It, and it, it, it worked. You know, that was the beautiful part of it. And it really, you know, I, I love this demonstration because it really showed what happens when you have this diverse team, when you have this multidisciplinary team that we, again, you know, we could go out and find all the money in the world, but we still would be working in a, a realm that we didn't know very well. And we still would lack a way to deliver this data. So this really became, you know, like this is a way to uh, transfer, to process, to visualize and deliver that data. That was the major breakthrough. Now, you know, really we, we can run as fast as we can now with this technology. And the abilities that really open up when you have the NAS, the supercomputer, you know, now we can start looking at these advanced methods of artificial intelligence and machine learning. You know, how do we leverage those for these really rich data sets? That also became a breakthrough moment uh, because when you're looking at 600 data points that has you know a million points on a vehicle for 50,000 steps in time, you know that that's mind-boggling. That's not something our human brains can can understand or comprehend. So we end up looking at like one, two, three percent of the data. And then, you know, if you go back again, it's like, ah, oh, is this the most, is this the best use of our facilities? You know, so, you know, how do we, how do we have a breakthrough there? Well, you go, you go to a different environment. Like that really was, was what it was. It's like, you got to get the data in a different environment. So now we can be smarter with the data. We can look at more data points. We can be um, even more aggressive and creative in how we process this data because it's in the right environment. How did you and the team come up with these amazing ideas? Yeah, you know, it it's fine. This this is the part that I love about engineering and really working at NASA is like you got to be creative. Um when you're on the frontier, it's a fine balance between creativity and productivity. It's hard to do the two at once. And so, I, you know, over the years when we were doing this demonstration, um and I I love to call it the beg borrow steal part of the project. It, you know, it was just, it was just trying to each time, you know, it was just a, a small step forward, you know? Um, and over the years we kept examining, like, where did the technology fall short? Where did the facility fall short? Where did the customers fall short? You know, even when we would get these great data sets and you, you know, you'd say, you know, have you looked at the data? It's like, uh, you know, I looked at one point, but you know, like, it's new. It's, it, there's not tools to be able to look at it. You know, it was new technology. It was large data. It was data that engineers weren't familiar with. Um, so you can't just simply throw it over the fence and say, good luck, you know. And you're also working with a customer that already has deliverables. Like they have to say what the loads on this vehicle are and they have a deadline. And in that deadline is not a place to like, oh, can you help, you know, transform this new technology and how you do this assessment? So we had to be very smart and um, and look at, you know, where did this, where did it fall short? And every solution kept coming up to these three points. It was the tools, the time, the technology. And if we could keep honing our approach to this project and say like, you know, how do we save time? How do we decrease this design cycle time? You know, it's, it's not a one and done on wind tunnel tests. You know, you're going to have a model and you're going to do a series of wind tunnel tests over many years. And what dictates that is that design cycle time between each entry. And it really is just, you know, can I look at the data? What's inside the data? How do I navigate to my next test? So could we save the time? 
the next part would be, how do we deliver this data? How do we develop tools that allow people to look at the data in the format that they need? Like, what are those data products that the customer needs? So we develop those tools. And then the talent, you know, like we are specialists in this optical technique. Um, We are wind tunnel specialists. Understanding how to design an aircraft and a launch vehicle, that's where we go to our customers and we say like, what is this talent? Like, what information do you need to share with us? And it's, you know, just having that conversation of like, we can get there. We just need to have a conversation, understand that talent part of it. And can we mold that into a model that we can now process this data with? From a programmatic or project management standpoint, what have you learned over the last few years that might be helpful to other individuals in NASA's technical workforce? Yeah, really, this is one of the key parts of the project that I love. Um, and it, I really look at this project as a place to, to grow um, everybody on the team and grow this technology. And, and so I have a few uh, key phrases that I often bring up to the team. The biggest one that I love is demonstration creates conversation. This whole Capability Challenge project is just about demonstrating what we can do and building this capability. So, you know, if somebody ever comes to me and says, you know, what about this? What about this? I say, can you demonstrate it? If you can demonstrate it, then we can talk about it. Then we can look at it. We can poke holes at it. We could tweak it. We could do things better. I love looking back at each one of these tests that we've done because it was all a demonstration to say, okay, look what we can do. We can put cameras in a wind tunnel. We can paint a model. We can take data. Okay, now look at what we can demonstrate. We can put more cameras. We can collect more data. We can move it to the supercomputer. We can process this data. We can show it to people while they're here, while the subject matter experts are here at the wind tunnel. So I love that demonstration creates conversation piece of it. Could you share your thoughts on how teamwork fits into this project? Oh, yeah. Teamwork is my favorite part of the project. Over the past years, we, we just kept demonstrating little pieces, little steps forward. Um, and we went to our funding authority, the Aerosciences Evaluations and Test Capabilities, AETC. And we showed them like, you know, this is what we've done is a few engineers pulling this together to demonstrate what this technology can do. But I told them, like, I need more of a team. I need a diverse team. I need people who are well-versed in signal processing. I need people who are experts in uh, software development, people who are experts in visualization. Like, you know, I, I've done each of these to some small level, but it would never be a capability just with my resources or a, a three people's resources. Like, it needed to be a multidisciplinary team that would build this technology. That's what we're demonstrating today with this team is that, you know, when you have that multidisciplinary approach, systematic approach to build this, it it's beautiful. We, we really jive. We're working together. We're excited to explore these new frontiers of artificial intelligence, new visualization tools. How do you deal with this large, rich data set on a remote server? Like, that's the beauty, but that's also the hard part of this. So that's where the teamwork comes in. Um, to be able to solve these really complex questions. What's next for you and the team and this activity? Yeah, you know, I, I like to say transactions take time, transformations take longer. You know, like, it's still going back to like, this isn't just purely a transaction. Like it's not just collect data, process it, and it's there ready for you. Like it's really about transforming how we assess unsteady flow. And I think we're doing that. Um, the other part is, 
you know, being really mindful that we're aligning with the agency's goals and not just NASA's goals, but like, are we aligned with aeronautics research mission directorate? Are we aligned with the human exploration mission directorate? And are we aligned with our stakeholders goals? Um, you know, we have to be very mindful in how we approach this technology, how we sell this technology, how we deploy this technology. And if we go back to, you know, how, how is the agency moving? What is the agency doing? How do we take the agency's lead here? Um, you know, again, it, it comes back to the pressure-sensitive paint technology. It comes back to it's a large data set. It comes back to leveraging our resources with the supercomputer. Um, and then, you know, a really big thing has happened in the past year. And I think these, these will be two things that will you know, transform our project and transform our capability. You know, we've all been living in this pandemic um, and it really changed this digital transformation. Like, how do we have access to data? How do we have access to one another? And when we first did this Red Rover connection between the wind tunnel and NAS, you know, this was all a demonstration of getting the subject matter experts there. But then once March 2020 happened and we saw like, oh, wow, the future of work, the future of travel, the future of even wind tunnel testing has really changed. So now this is really a delivery mechanism of data. Like, you know, we can process data, we can deliver it. You can be anywhere in the world and have an active role in these experimental tests at the wind tunnel. This is huge. You know, we demonstrate our work and our success can continue even remotely. So we're trying to keep building on this um, new world that we all live in. Um, the last comment I would say is, you know, NASA over the summer changed its core value. Like that's a huge deal when an agency or a company changes its core values and it added the value of inclusion. And you know, I, I loved that because when I looked at what we are doing, it falls under that umbrella. You know, inclusion, just like everything else, it, it has many different faces. It's seen across the workspace. And this was a way to be more inclusive, that you didn't have to have the requirement to travel to be a part of that wind tunnel test. You know, and this really drove home that real, tangible, technical way to see how NASA realizes its core values. And I really believe this will greatly contribute to the success of the team, the success of the technology, and the success of this capability. And I think if we keep looking at where do we invest, if we invest in the people, meaning the culture, the process, their abilities, if we keep investing in the facilities, if we keep investing in the technology, like that's NASA's product. That's how we accomplish these big challenging problems is by combining the people, the facilities, and the technology. Many thanks to Nettie Roosboom for joining us. You'll find her bio along with links to related resources and a transcript of today's episode at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. If there's a topic you'd like for us to feature in a future episode, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple. That's A-P-P-E-L and use the hashtag small steps, giant leaps. As always, thanks for listening.